0: So many people need this. There's not a person in this building today or on your team that doesn't know somebody right now suffering from the opiate epidemic. We're going to lose probably 15 lives during this interview in America today alone.
1: All right, guys. Welcome back to Growth Minds. Today, we've got a special guest. We've got Darren Prince on, who's the author of Aiming High. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, obviously, there is some relation to the show here in that a few weeks ago, we had Dennis Rodman on the show, and I know you are his, uh, his agent. And I've been looking at some of the interviews that you two have done, and almost half the interviews... With Dennis Rodman, you're in it. Like, I've seen the one with uh, Fox News, the one, I think there was like one with uh, ESPN as well. It's almost like you guys are best friends. W- what's the reason that you guys go on the show together? Well, recently from his 30 for 30
0: documentary, I think it touched on uh, yeah. mental health, his alcoholism, uh, right. struggles with his underlining self-worth and self-esteem, which ultimately, you know, it's the reason he's turned to alcohol, and he helped me over 11 years ago get sober from my opiate addiction. He was one of several of my celebrities that knew how bad it got for me, and now he's on this amazing path himself, uh, close to five months, no alcohol, and I think indirectly that kind of helped him after he helped me. I
1: just celebrated 11 years myself. So it's only been five months for him. I had yeah. no idea when, when he came on the show that it was like a, such a it recent- was, I think the documentary, it's touched so many people
0: in a way that he's just in a random restaurant through an airport. He could be just out and about, and somebody comes over to him and talks about how the sister brother themselves, inspired by watching him talk about his pain and his struggles. And I think it's finally given him a real reason to understand that life as Dennis Raman is
1: probably just starting. He's got the ability now to really help change and save lives around the world. That's amazing, and you guys have such a interesting history of the roller coasters that both of you guys have gone through. Um, talk to us a little bit of how how you first met, because it seems like you guys really are this this dynamic duo. We, What's the uh, first time you guys yeah, met? Yeah, we met in
0: 1996. I think it was Game Five of the NBA Finals against the Super Sonics. He was the biggest thing in the world. Yes, bigger than Michael Jordan. I was at that game. Michael was already in Chicago for God knows how many years, and that building shook with that Chicago Bulls theme song when uh, that intro song when Dennis's name from Southeast Oklahoma State. I never never seen anything like it. And um, my friend Jeff Hamilton, a renowned uh, leather jacket designer, introduced me to Dennis on the court after he made two free throws at the end of the game to win. The, uh, I think they went up like three one or three two in the series, and Dennis just took me right in. I met him and his agent at the time and said, dude, we're going to uh, Crazy Horse. Why don't you come meet us? You know, Let's talk about what you do. And maybe we can make some money together. So we broke bread at a strip club at one o'clock in the morning uh, <laughs> over lap dances. And it's the start of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how the best friendships start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I spec- mean, you're with him who was king of the
1: world. It was a great experience back then. You know? I'm mean, going to a strip club with anyone is any of the basketball players is is another revelation yeah. but with Dennis Rodman I can't even imagine what that's like no yeah. yeah it was it was pretty crazy it really was and um yeah I mean we we
0: totally hit it off from there on out and had a a love and respect for one another and you know it's like a big brother little brother we fight we have our moments but we know we're lifers with each other neither one of us are leaving one another and i said hey i said the day that you're gone too we're gonna be looking out for you and your family and um it's a special bond i have that with a lot most of my clients i'd I'd say a lot of them but yeah his is truly unique and special
1: yeah, and and I see the the lineup of some of the major celebrities that you do represent: Charlie Sheen, to Hulk Hogan, Magic Johnson. Uh, a lot of these guys do have this pattern or a relationship with having been an addict and mm-hmm. being in that roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. Is that something that creates this unified bond, or or at least can they relate to you better because of the fact that you've also gone through that? I think depending on the client, but I think um, even Magic
0: Johnson, he didn't have a substance abuse issue, but he had his own issues, obviously, yeah. when he had to come out with the HIV announcement. And I think they, you know, what's made them so great and so iconic and the best to ever do what they do at their craft, uh, record breakers, Hall of Famers, uh, but the Hall of Famers of Hall of Famers, the, the grapes of the greats, um, they had to push through something. They had to deal with some level of adversity, some disappointment, some enormous challenge, like when Magic missed uh, a handful of shots and had a horrible game, and he came back in '84 after Celtics won in Game 7, and uh, the L.A. Times said tragic Magic, and uh, he used that tragic magic to motivate himself, and a year later won the NBA championship in in Boston Garden. And uh, I think when they see that happen in real life, It means a lot. You know, Hulk always tells me stories about Andre the Giant, the slam hurt around the world and what had to go into that and tearing his rotator cuff and not realizing until 20 minutes later uh, when he was in the locker room after he pushed up over 650 pounds over his head, but because of the adrenaline and all his physical ailments that he's been through over the years and challenges through his divorce and... Everything I mean, we bond on a personal level, Charlie Sheen, the same thing, I mean he's a beautiful soul, he just celebrated two years, and you know most of these guys, when we talk, ninety percent is about life, ten percent is about business. The business yeah. is easy yeah. when you've got iconic figures like that it's uh it, it's it's that special brotherly love, and I've got it sisterly too. I was with my girl in uh Florida past two days, and we had Carmen Electra on the phone for two and a half hours laughing our ass off two nights ago, telling stories and talking and about amazing. life, and she was on speaker, and she hung up the phone and said, it's always so therapeutic with you. She
1: goes just to laugh and just enjoy life, and yeah.
0: that's what it's about. It's important.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're working with really the, the iconic figures that have gotten there, a lot of it, what makes it breaks them is the psychology, is, the, is really getting out of their own way, and it seems like you're not only... An amazing agent, but you're also this partner that is with them by all of these different challenges H- How have you gone through the roller coaster ride of going through like it must be exhausting just thinking about just even one person just looking at tennis Robin mm-hmm. and the stories that he's gone through in the past decade just having like a full time job managing his personality and the roller coaster ride it must be insane so how how is it that you you're really in charge of all of these different roster of amazing but really people that live crazy lives
0: yeah i think i've just been doing it for so long so many times when i do interviews now or i do keynote speeches and it comes up like how in the world do you juggle i mean Chevy Chase, I love him to death. He's on this huge tour right now, this QA tour with Mills Entertainment. And um you know, a week ago he we did LA and nothing better in the morning. Proud of you. I love you. Thank you for always getting my back. You know, Rick Flair goes into the hospital. We thought we were gonna lose him twice in the three year in the past three years. And um when my dad passed away, he's the first person to call me. You know, wow. I think all of that it's it just it just creates this ability to understand that we literally will put ourselves out there and do whatever we have to do to make sure our, our people are treated like family. It's friendship first. It's the love. It's the bond. And I just think that makes it so much easier. It's almost like having 11 brothers and sisters yes. that you love them all equally. And you realize that there's going to be challenges. And you realize that there's these people that just don't trust. Everybody wants something from them. Mm. And as agents, we're the complete opposite because I look at it as when we call them, it's about bringing them opportunities we're not a business manager, we're not a lawyer, uh, or an accountant, no disrespect. I know they work hard, but as agents, you're actually bringing them opportunities to make money Yeah, and, uh, you know, elevate their brand and bring opportunities to increase their, you know, notoriety around the world and keep their legacy alive and, uh, their foundations, whatever it is. So I just think it's a little bit of a, a different respect factor, but yeah, it takes a lot of juggling though, getting back to that, but we, you know, I've got a great team around me that helps because I certainly can't do it all myself. I have a great assistant here in LA. I've got you know my social media team. I've got five agents back in New Jersey, one in Maryland, and um, my boy Nikki C out here in. Uh,
1: Is New Jersey the the headquarters for New Jersey's for the Yeah, England?
0: I've got my boys Frankie, Bo, Steve back there. that have been with me forever. Yeah, uh, Nikki C's out here in Beverly Hills. I've got. Somebody that knows how to juggle and protect me the best that they can, the way that I protect the celebrities. Because ultimately, I'm the Prince Marketing Group. Yes. So they kind of know if there's a time where I'm shot or I need time to rejuvenate or I got to focus on one person that day, they need to pick up the slack. Yes. So you can't just grab anybody to be in that environment. They really Mm -hmm. better know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and here you are. You've built this entire career by... Really being behind the scenes in many ways, right when because you're representing the the the, the epitome of the celebrity the iconic figures mm-hmm. from sports to entertainment, and you recently made this switch of becoming this public figure yourself you you wrote a book called aiming high yeah. you're doing keynote speaking from schools to all these different conferences mm-hmm. uh, and we talked a little bit off air about this so what's been this shift for you to now become the person that's presenting this message to to people as a public figure. You know, I my whole life I thought it was always about
0: Darren Prince, the super agent, whatever artificial title, superficial title somebody wanted to give me, or the media would call it, or and I bought into it. Uh, you know, and a, a lot of that is. As a teenager, I had my own self-esteem issues and lack of self-worth and never being a part of. And when I started a baseball card business in 1984, it became a huge multi-million dollar company. It was making hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time I was 16. All that stuff was inside of me. All that stuff was just buried. And it was always like Darren Prince always had to prove that he was somebody to the people that, you know, casted him as this severely learning disabled child that was in small classrooms with six kids where everybody else had 50 or 60 uh, in big classrooms. And I took it with me into the real world. And eventually the baseball cards went to a sports and celebrity memorabilia company and then the agency, Prince Marketing Group. And I I was living a lie for a long time. I tell people when I speak what was once living to use turned out to using to live. And I had a high, high high-end opiate addiction with painkillers. And it stopped working at a certain point where I had all this stuff on the outside. Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Evel Knievel, all these, the most iconic of the iconic, the biggest stars of any room they'd ever walk into. Yet I never felt worthy of being with them for a single second. When I was home alone in my head later that night, I felt like a broken piece of crap. And uh, I had to be high in the moment, and I had to be high when I got home at night, um, just to deal with the fact that, I didn't think for a single second I belonged there. So on July second, two 2008, when my God, as I call it, my higher power, when I cried out for help for a single day of freedom to get me sober, and he heard me because I stood up and I flushed the last of my opiates and wound up in a 12-step meeting that night in New York City. By the grace of God, um, I thought my life was over and it was actually just beginning on July second, two 2008. So when you get a gift like that, and you have a platform like I have with some of these revered figures and they know that the greatest thing they've ever seen me accomplish in my life is sobriety one day at a time. Yeah. It was an easy choice to get the message out there.
1: Mm. And what's been that transformation like for you? I know being unworthiness. And I can totally relate. I mean, I'm here I'm interviewing guys like yourself to Lewis is a mutual friend to you know, you know, Darren uh, Dennis Rodman, all these great figures and obviously, I imagine you must have grown so much just being like a sponge by just being around these guys and how they conduct themselves, not necessarily by the advice they give, but just seeing how they conduct themselves, seeing what their mentality is. Um, but I can totally relate to you, but what's been that transformation? Like, do you feel worthy now by giving your message out to all these different people around the world? Like never before. It's, um,
0: Sometimes it doesn't feel real because, you know, I think back to that young Darren Prince and the pain that he was in for so long to to be able to wake up every single morning now and love the person that I am and just know I finally found myself. I found my purpose in life in the world of recovery. Mm. And to get in front of an audience of, it could be 4,000 people I've spoken to, to a couple dozen at a Barnes & Noble's book signing and know that some God-given words are coming out of my mouth as a source of strength to help change and save a life in that room. Because there's never been a keynote I haven't delivered where somebody's life has not got changed or shaved because I hear about it. They either come up to me or if it's in a school, the principal's let me know the next day. I'm doing esteemable acts. And those esteemable acts finally created that self-esteem I was looking mm. for my entire life. Yeah. And most people never understand what it's like to look in the mirror and love every single thing about yourself know that i'm still flawed but know that i'm so comfortable talking about the uncomfortable makes me unstoppable i can be in front of 50 60 thousand people right now at yankee stadium and talk to them yeah. like i'm talking to you it's because it's an authentic it's, story yeah about and, you and, um, your journey joel olstein's a dear friend him and his wife and we did good day in new york together five minutes apart back on october 2nd when my book came out and uh, I was always a big fan. I got to develop a personal relationship with him. And he was blown away by it. I've been to Lakewood Church several times. And he's like, you know, what you've done with your message. It's just, um, you know, it's incredible because so many people need this. There's not a person in this building today or on your team that doesn't know somebody right now suffering from the opiate epidemic. We're going to lose probably 15 lives during this interview in America today alone. You know, so like I said, I was given a gift. And um, I feel that that great power becomes comes great responsibility. And um, I know people who are anonymous in the program of 12 steps, but it's not for me because um, I need to inspire somebody every single day to say it doesn't matter if you're from Park Avenue or Park Bench or Yale to jail, drug addiction and substance abuse
1: does not discriminate. Mm. And... Um, I've got a message that needs to be heard. Why do you think in the recent times there's been such an epidemic of, of opioids?
0: I mean, I think a lot of the younger generation, there's bullying, there's social media. Um, there's not enough courage to speak up. Yeah. There's a lot of Darren Princes out there that want to keep it inside, that think from vaping, smoking weed, stealing a pill from their parents' medicine cabinet, drinking on the weekends, because they don't feel good enough being them. Like yeah. They don't think, why... Am I doing this? Jay just know that they're feeling good, and it's giving them what they're missing, which is exactly what happened to me in sleepaway camp at 14 years old when I took liquid Demerol from a nurse having no idea what it was. And all of a sudden, I felt like Superman.
1: How did that happen? I just stomach pains,
0: severe stomach pains. I thought I had to go to the hospital, and she gave me this clear cough syrup cup with green liquid in it, and I I was flying. Three minutes later, it tasted disgusting. I almost vomited, but... Every insecurity I just told you about went away in a second. I got back to the bunk. I was the cool guy, the funny guy, the buff guy, the good-looking one. I had the courage to go to the bunk next door and flirt with these girls for the first time in my life at 14 years old. Oh there was God. 30 of them, and I remember it wasn't like being the class clown. I, I was the cool guy, and it's like this is amazing. What the heck is happening to me? Mm. And I you know, woke up the next day thinking nothing of it. Did all my activities, and that very next night I'm lying in the bunk thinking, God, that feeling was amazing. How do I get more of it? At at 14 years old, I learned to lie and con. And I looked at the couch and I bent over. I go, all oh, right, my stomach is killing me, man. We got to go back to the nurse. I did it for three straight weeks until my mom and dad came up a visitation day and found out what I was taking. <sighs> no.
1: Nope. Oh, my God. Uh, no. Nope. Because you go on this high where you feel a sensation that you really never felt before. Mm. And the only thing that's different is, of course, the medication that you took. Mm. And more importantly, how easy it was for you to get. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's insane that that It's just—I uh, mean—that's the problem with the opioids, right? It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, 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 there's a misalignment in the healthcare system for you for them to just provide you this kind of stuff. So when you're 14 and you you have this, so three weeks goes by. W- what happened then? What what was the stage that you were in?
0: I I just it
1: became a way of life.
0: It was my favorite part of the day before I went to bed at night. Every single night I knew like clockwork what I was going to do and. That last hour or two that I was awake was the greatest time of my life because I knew whatever that green juice was or that green liquid was going to make me cool, comfortable, finally a part of, finally accepted, finally the man, and um, it it was heaven. It really was. I was floating for three weeks, but I don't blame the nurse or the camp because back then um, you it wasn't as much of a controlled substance. Three months later, I had my wisdom teeth taken out, Yeah, and same thing happened. Dentist gave my mom these white pills. I had no idea what they were. It took two when I came home. That exact same feeling came back. Wow. And once those eight pills were gone, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to lie and I needed to con. And I went downstairs I held my cheek. I put on the crocodile. I said, Mom, we got to go to the emergency room. of a horrible infection. She's like, oh, my God, what's wrong? I said, the, the, the dentist, there's, there's something really wrong. She calls up the dentist as a loving mother who wants to see their child suffer. 14 years old, it was 35 years ago. Took me back the next morning, eight a.m. I worked the crocodile tears up and gave her another eight pills. And,
1: and they had no idea this was going they on. Had no idea. I had no pain. I had no pain. I just wanted more of it. Right. I mean, there was pain, I'm sure, and, you know, somewhere inside. You just there wanted. There was pain you in just here wanted. and in here and in here. Not in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was that? Were you as as growing up in elementary or even in high school, in the very early days before you were fourteen? What, what, what were you like, I mean, to, to have gone through this at, at 14 uh, and to to need this kind of medication to make yourself feel better? I'm curious to know what your childhood was like when growing up. You know, I had an
0: amazing childhood, a great loving mother and father, amazing, amazing parents, a sister that I was close with. Um, I had a lot of guy and girlfriends. Um, people wanted me to come to their house on the weekend and hang out. I just never felt worthy of it. I always felt socially inept. I always felt awkward. I never felt like the group of friends that wanted me to hang out with them, that I was, you know, cool enough to be a part of that group. There's a lot of times I like being a loner. Um, I think even my baseball card business, it was fictitious. When I was 12 and 13, I would come home at night and, you know, After going to movies with the friends, and I would sort everything, and I'd put little price tags on the plastic sleeves in my head, I had this own, my own business, I'd be up for four, five, six hours doing inventory, but I didn't know where to sell it all, but that's what made me happy, being stuck in my own head, and I started gravitating to the numbers on these cards, and my dad realized at one point the statistics that were on their cards, I was memorizing everything, and he knew I was becoming a statistical genius. Now, in geography, or history, or Spanish, or French, I was a disaster. He put numbers in front of me. I'll take a math teacher to school. And he knew that. And so when I sat down one day and I said, hey, I need insurance on my baseball cards, he thought I was a little bit crazy. And then he challenged me, why do you need the insurance? And I told him there was a baseball card show. And that was the first time in my life at 14. I prepared for two weeks every single day. Yeah. With Steve Simon, who's the VP of my agency now, ironically, um, that was the biggest day of my life. I knew that that was the day I was going to become somebody. And I made over a thousand dollars. That 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 afternoon. So I finally got a little bit of self worth for the first time in my life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like you had something special. Your dad told you that you were the statistical genius, and you had friends. You had uh, a great social life, great parents, loving life. I'm curious to know where this this sensation of feeling unworthiness comes from. It's very common, actually, amongst a lot of these top celebrities. Mm -hmm. Um, including Dennis Raman. I imagine okay. he's talking about how basketball was a fluke and how all these things that he had just didn't feel like it was his, like he deserved it. Um, so have you thought about just writing this book and this journey that you went through in your early childhood? What, what you think it was that made you feel this unworthiness? can really point it outside the fact
0: that I knew in second grade when I was probably seven, um, I felt isolated. I, I remember I had a teacher named Mrs. Reich. God bless her because I was super close with her. I know she's not here anymore. But they put us in different colors. And, like, the yellow and the gold group were the smart kids. And the blue was, like, the middle level. And the red, I hate using, hate using the word. So I'm going to use the initial, the R word. Um, I think you guys could figure it out. Um, we, were, we called ourselves the R only group. And so that word stuck with me my entire childhood, that I was mentally challenged, and um, I was in the group that had four of us. Everybody else was, you know, 10, 20, 30. Um, I remember a history teacher that, I'll never forget her name, and I know she didn't do it on purpose, her name is Mrs. Stecker, and there was four of us in the back row of a classroom of probably 50 kids. She starts walking the test around. I'll get you for your test in the back once I'm done with everybody else, okay? Just give me a minute. You hear that stuff as a teenager, and it's going somewhere inside yes. of your soul. It's going somewhere inside your core yeah. to realize you're, tr- you're being treated as special and not for the right reasons. Yeah. And um, those little things and not speaking up, which is why I'm so passionate and so obsessively driven to make a change in the high school systems and grammar school to tell these kids, don't be Darren Prince, speak up now, mm. because this is what's going to happen. And you'll you'll be lucky to be alive and make it out of the high school years right now because the yeah. fentanyl and all the crap that's out there, um, by all rights with what I took, I shouldn't be alive now mm. to even be talking to you guys. But I know it's because I didn't have the courage to speak up. Like, how come Darren Prince always needed to put something in his system just to fit in? Yeah. Because I didn't have the courage or the strength to tell my mom and dad what was happening, to tell a teacher, to tell a guidance counselor, to tell a friend.
1: Um, I just kept it all inside. And part of that is feeling unworthy. So you didn't feel like you, you you could speak up. And that would mean that this would just continue happening, which make you feel, again, it's like a negative feedback loop, yep. right? Because you would yep. just keep going through this cycle. Vicious cycle. Very vicious cycle. And... Uh, and then this, this carried through through this career that you had, which is an amazing career, right? You did have this amazing skill, which was business, being able to understand people, read people, network. And I feel like that's really been your true skill set. Um, I want to dig into that a little bit more. So here you are, you are 14 and you are raking it in, right? You're making thousands and thousands of dollars. What were you doing at that time? I was setting
0: up at baseball card shows on the weekend, and that was the height of the industry, Um, which now it's as big as it's ever been. Gary V is a good friend of mine. so many of these guys. Dan Fleischman, I was with them in Chicago for the National Sports Collectors Convention a few months ago. And it's hysterical. These guys are just diving right in because it's the most amazing investment. It's so exciting. But I, w- I was one of the OGs. Like mm. These guys will tell you, I was right there. There was about four of us that were like the kings of the industry. There was three teenagers and a guy by the name of Alan Rose and Mr. Mint. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Um, I actually just told ESPN they should do a 30 for 30 on him because this industry wouldn't exist without him and um we just we were like legal drug dealers. It was the craziest thing ever we would just set up at shows and take these big expensive ads out in the Bible of the industry every week. there was no internet back then and when we would set up at shows because we were so um media friendly all the big talk shows the newspapers u s Today, New York Times New York post would want to speak to us because we were like these prodigies, yeah, it's almost as if you um I know like Josh at StockX. I know he's a friend of mine. Like it's almost like that. If you were like the guy that started this sneakerhead craze, that's what it was with the biggest book, Right. And, um, we became like little rock stars. So when you're broken and insecure and all of a sudden you start having this money come in, the recipe for disaster, you know? And, um, although I knew on that Saturday or Sunday when I was hustling on, on a, a hotel conference room floor, I never felt so comfortable. Um, I'd have the same feeling up at night as I did later in life as an agent. You know, I just I would come back with a pocket full of cash and have to go over the expenses and the reports and sit down the next day with my accountant. A lot of times I was lying. I was cheating him because I wanted to hold the cash. I wanted to, I wanted to go to school because I was so insecure with thousands of dollars in my pocket. This is when you call my friends out for lunch and just like be the big deal. Yes. To be like, Nobody, I'm making more money than my friend's parents were making and then getting notoriety because of it. Um, You know, but again, it was all looking back at it now. It was all looking for an outside fix that was ultimately an inside job because I never spoke up.
1: And did you, did you enter that business knowing that there was obviously a lot of money to be made because of the fact that you felt unworthy and you knew that money was going to be this vehicle for people to like you in school? I, I I
0: think I did. A, I, had, I had a teacher I'm very close with, with to this day, and I mentioned in my book, uh, Elliot Lovey, and he was my intro to business teacher, and he gave us a challenge at 14 about going home and creating a business, and that's kind of how it all happened. And with my dad, he rest in peace, being my mentor in business, um, I knew I had a plan on how to execute that plan. I had an idea of what the expense would be to exhibit my collection and start selling them. And then the light bulb went on. And I go, wait a minute. During the week, I could actually become a broker now for these stockbrokers that right. are spending a fortune. So I can go on the weekends to these shows, buy a Mickey Mantle it for $5,000, tell them the next day I got to charge them 7,000. Yeah. And that's what it'd be like. I was the only kid in school that had a cell phone in 1985. There was a company wow. called bell Atlantic and it was a, uh, A heavy metal phone with an aluminum bottom with a rubber antenna and a leather case. (laughs) I remember seeing that, And it it was was so expensive because they just didn't exist. It was about $3 a minute. But I'd pay a couple of my big Italian football player friends to be in front of my locker so I could take the calls in between class because I was making so much money. I didn't want to lose opportunity to my other competitors that were brokering baseball card deals too.
1: Oh my God! What do you even put those? You just have, you have
0: like a bag, just yeah. Wrapped. It was it was, it was a shoulder thing. They were big. They probably weighed about six or seven pounds back then. Oh
1: my God! Do you have a picture
0: of one of those? I still have the original one. When my parents sold the house, I saved it. Um, actually, when my piece? dad passed away and I sold the house for my mom, I I saved it. It's actually in storage of the phone. It's, it's it's pretty amazing.
1: Can you send us one of those, or is it? Yeah, I, you have I to can, go back. Yeah, I can
0: ask somebody to go take a picture of it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So here you are. You're having this big success, and imagine you were being very popular now at this, at this point, exactly. right? So you felt a little bit of worthiness. You felt that this was this positive feedback loop that you now had. Yep. You had this one negative side, which was the, 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 the medicine, which is kind of putting you in, but now you're making money, which is the positive side. Um, so then what
0: happened? You could say it was drugs actually, because at that point I was dabbling with almost everything. weed, alcohol. It wasn't just
1: a prescription payments. Right. Um, right. And you were functioning. Very. Um, And then at 20 years old, you decide to sell one of the businesses that you I I, I sold the baseball card business because
0: of that deep-rooted insecurity inside me. I thought it would be even sexier and cooler to be involved in the sports and celebrity uh, industry. And that was by doing these autograph signings with some of the biggest athletes and celebrities in the world. And so, oh, that's way cooler than baseball cards. This is great. So I'm going to parlay that money and build up this amazing... Merchandise company and get to sit in a hotel room with Muhammad Ali for three hours and Pamela Anderson and Chevy Chase and pay them tens of thousands of dollars to sign X amount of items, so I get to develop a relationship with them, yeah. and then have this great distribution network of all these companies around the world that are going to sell the product. I did that for about five years.
1: How did you first sell the baseball business? Because wasn't it so dependent on on you being the the main the the person that's really running everything? Mm. What was the what was like the process of selling that when it's such a person dependent business?
0: The baseball card business wasn't as much so. Believe it or not, it was more my database that I had some of the you know, highest spending collectors in the world. That were most were very private, yeah. But knew that you know the company taking over was going to do the best job possible to make sure they were going to facilitate getting them the highest graded cards for the best value. And um, so between that and whatever inventory was left, that's how I was able to sell it.
1: Gotcha. And then where did the idea of getting into the new business come from?
0: I um, I was just always fascinated when I would go to these shows and I would see Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Pete Rose, Reggie Jackson. They had lines wrapped around the corner with fans that were standing there with baseballs and bats and jerseys and photos. Yeah. I started asking questions about it one day and I just, this is so cool. Like you could come meet your hero in person. Like, most people wouldn't even think this is ever possible. Yeah, yeah. Get a photo with them, get something signed. And like I said, I think the insecurity and the attractiveness of
1: being around a star made Darren Prince feel even better. Mm. Because you knew then your friends or your family members or whoever else around you will see you around the celebrity and they'll be like, whoa, Darren's a cool guy. And And I went for the most
0: famous man in the history of the world, they say, outside of Jesus Christ, Muhammad Ali. Wow. The most written about person of all time. And, um... I started with the biggest. I mean, he was... That was your first... He he was the first one I did a signing with. Harlan Werner, who's one of my business mentors too, that was incredibly influential with me becoming an agent, was his agent. And Jeff Hamilton, again, who introduced me to Dennis and his agent years later, introduced me to Harlan. And he explained how the business works. He goes, you're going to pay my home at only $20,000. He's going to sign 500 items. He'll sign gloves. He'll sign boxing trunks. He'll sign photos. I'll tell you where to get them. Um... And then it's your job to just sell the merchandise. And uh, ah, it, it, the stuff flowed. I mean, the minute I put the ads in, it just went, boom, boom. yeah, boom. It, it sold right out. And huh. we had to, like, two months later, meet him again for another signing.
1: So it wasn't a commission thing where you sell 100,000, Muhammad Ali gets 20%. Mm-hmm. It's, he just... But, yeah, up. we were
0: a merchandise business at that point. That wasn't yeah. the agency quite yet. That was just basically just sitting down, having these amazing experiences with them yeah. um, behind the scenes. Uh Just talking life and just getting to spend amazing time at them. And I got very close with Lonnie, his wife, and Muhammad. And uh, he had an assistant, Kim, back then. And just beautiful people. And, uh, I mean, we would do dinners at night. I would meet them on the road somewhere. And Muhammad would be like, I'm hungry. And that's when he he was able to really talk before the Parkinson set in. And, man, to just be out with him. Can't even tell you countless times. New York City McDonald's, he loved. It could be McDonald's, it could be Palm Steakhouse, it, you know, Morton's, uh, whatever it is. And you walk into a room with him, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, yeah, Smoke and Joe, who I'm a little bit more partial to, because Joe was my exclusive client for years. They were, they were the kings of all kings. Yeah, There's never, there'll never be two guys that'll own a room like that. In fact, I was with my girl at Nobu about a month ago, and Lionel Richie was there, and I saw him, and he, felt, he knew right away that I was somebody, and I walked mm. over to him. I go. We met at um, Master's, smoking Joe Frazier's Station. and he goes, "My God, that's right." And yes. I go, "You ran out after him. Joe didn't know who you were, and I, you had a reminder about the limousine company." He goes, "Oh my God!" He goes, he goes "So I told him my name." He goes, "Prince, Prince, I remember." <laughs> we gave each other a hug. We took a photo, and we were there <laughs> talking for like fifteen minutes. He goes, "Those were special, man, man." Because oh, I talk about them all the time. Because they were just different level. They come from a different cloth, and you know. So again, it's this broken, insecure you know, a kid to just walk into a room where any president or the biggest stars in the world would be like, become kids. It's a recipe for disaster too. I you were looked. in your early 20s at that yeah, time at that where point. you haven't
1: fully, yeah. fully developed. This is No,
0: and like- I, I, I have school teachers, doctors, lawyers, business people, friends of my parents, media people up my ass to to, to come meet Muhammad Ali or Smokey Joe or Magic Johnson, whoever it might have been because they knew I started this company We became like the king
1: of autograph signings. How did you first approach him? Because, I mean, would you say in some ways, as controversial as it is, that the drugs actually helped you gain that inner confidence to be able to go for such a big icon as your first major mm-hmm. client? Uh, would you say in that sense there was this cycle where you were on drugs and that helped you get that inner confidence to approach someone like that? You get them mm-hmm. and then you're like, okay, so now I need more drugs because that's what, I guess you kind of associate that to have the confidence that you did.
0: I got to be very careful when I speak speak to high school kids and they bring that up all the time. And they say, do you think without the drugs you would have built the business? And there's a good point to it. The second part of it is I went, I was on the verge of bankruptcy as I talk about my book in 2005. I made a huge mistake, almost went to prison in the memorabilia business because I wasn't paying attention to the business like I should have. And I was involved in a situation where I was investigated for mail fraud selling fraudulent Michael Jordan autographs that I didn't think were fraudulent because I was so caught up in the partying and the fact that I thought I was so untouchable dealing with all these other stars that I depended on a second source that was selling me Michael Jordan autographs that we were selling to... You know these same vendors that bought everybody else from us and uh thank god i got letters from all those renowned ic- icons sent to the judge and uh during the interview process with the fbi the guy that was selling me the stuff i truly trusted him i believed in him he told them they were going to try to get him on tax evasion you know give him as little information as you can and i basically lied under oath during the investigation wow. and they knew they couldn't get me on mail fraud and they charged me with making a false statement to the fbi so i'm a proud felon for the rest of my life which means i can't do jury duty um i still have <laughs> so issues one, one around, the, of around the world i get stopped because i have to always check that box about it do i have a felony it's a pain <laughs> in the ass man um here I am, 11 and a half years sober and, you know, trying to change and save the world with my message. And I still got to deal with still that. But it's, with a, that. It's, a remi- it's a reminder. And, um, it was a crazy learning experience. I, I, I want to I was psychotic about trying to offer refunds to everybody because I was so humiliated. And, uh, I remember magic telling me that you're going to, you're going to take this experience. You're going to make lemonades out of lemon mm-hmm. and that God tests great men and women. And he tested me down with HIV and he's testing you now. And um, I was crying my eyes out. We're in a limousine in Atlantic City. And uh, he took me under his wing, and he goes, you're going to find the next chapter in your life. And that's when, thanks to my dad and a fly fishing trip in Alaska, as I talk about in the book, um, I took a shot, and Prince Marketing Group was born.
1: Mm. Yeah. This is, so you were friendly with Magic, you were working with him, but he wasn't a client. Exactly. I was just, yeah. I was booking his autograph signings. That was it. Man, I mean, at the state where your psychology is you're making money, but you were, obviously, it seems like you had this insecurity, you felt unworthy, but here you are with Magic Johnson, you know, with the big guys. Was there something in the back of your head where if you were too open about these things that you were going through that, I guess, that relationship with guys like Magic would revere, <coughs> it would not would not sustain? I, I, I really never had a doubt because they got to know the real me, and...
0: Once I started Prince Marketing Group and we became so successful professionally for them, uh, again, the personal relationship only got accelerated. Yeah. It only got tighter and tighter and tighter. And like I said, every single one of them, Hulk, Evil, Magic, Muhammad, Joe, Rodman, I mean, you name it, Chevy Chase, Pamela Anderson, all, all the, like, the icons that I've worked with who were on their heyday back then, everybody went through something. Yeah. Um, you know, so... When I knew that things were getting really dark for me and I had the courage to speak up, they weren't going to turn their back on me. Mm. I knew it. I, I, I didn't even think for a second, too, about the book. Um, once that came about, we can get into that later, I'll tell you, um, yeah. that there was some, there was one person I was going to say, what a dumb idea. It became the greatest thing I've ever done in my life.
1: You mean to openly talk right, about it? Yeah, and
0: write right Aiming High. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can you share what it is? Yeah, well, it's. I mean, you can look at it right here. Man, I told
0: Magic about it. He was so absolutely blown away that I was going to tell this story. And I asked him, Would you do me the honor of writing the forward? Mm-hmm. And he goes, Baby boy, he goes, This is going to be your legacy. You're going to touch the world. You're going to change and save more lives with this than anything you've ever done in your life. Because the world's not going to be a fly on the wall to what it's like in this whole super agent world. Yes. But you were living this deep, dark secret. And, uh, he goes, I'd be so pissed off if you didn't ask me to write the forward. So, I mean, you could just look at the back. I mean, the testimonies: Mark Cuban, Jeannie Bus, Hulk Colgan, Rick Flair. The list goes on. Yeah. Doctor Drew's on the inside. They, they jumped at the opportunity when I said, "Look, I need you guys to, to to give me some support on this through social media, to give me, you know, a quote, lend your voice, uh, whether it's about me, whether it's about adversity, or uh, you know, what you think this book is going to do." And that's when I realized I was onto something special because I was like, I don't think I could have read a business book and got this type of support. There's no way this could have yeah. been a Darren Prince book about the agent life and I would have gotten this type of support. And uh, that just showed me that I knew I was doing the right thing and I knew that they would never, ever, ever judge me for a split second outside of saying, you're an amazing person for writing this book.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? Th- there is something about society that they, they love a comeback story. First of all, but they want to see the human side, almost the darker and the the, the fr- fragile human side of things. And I agree with you, if it was a business book, I don't think it would have been this level of support because everyone can relate to what you went through from the personal perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a, such a powerful book, uh, just helping so many people around the world around this. Um, now, when you were going through it, you have all of these major celebrities from Jeannie Buss to Mark Cuban. Uh, were you also were they also aware that you were going through this? Jeannie, I've known a while. Mark didn't
0: realize it when he started doing business maybe 15, 16 years ago, but his brother's in recovery. His brother's a well-known advocate, Mark, Mark Cuban Brian Cuban. Right yeah, he's an okay. attorney, and he wrote a book, and so I know it touches home. Yeah, um, Magic's brother in recovery. I mean, everybody's got somebody. It's like I said, whether it's a friend or family member, and... Uh, you know, to, to just connect with them at this level. I mean, it, it it was, I remember the first week when the book came out and um, it just blew us all away, the social media support that we were getting. And I texted Scotty Pippen he posted to like a million plus on Instagram. And it, it was just people that I even have relationship with, not even exclusive clients anymore. And yeah. every single person, we just started working with Denise Richards. She posts something to 4 million people on Twitter. Um, it, it, it just felt so surreal because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything for them. This was the first time I wanted something about me, but because my heart was pure, it was for me so I can use my message as a vessel. Yeah, Uh, because I knew for such a long time I needed God in my life. But when I wrote this book, I started getting a lot of signs that God needed me a lot more Mm -hmm. than I needed
1: him. And that was the reason I had to write it. Yeah. Yeah. And in in, in many ways, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people know people that have addiction problems, but I think, I think personally what really helped me relate was the idea of feeling this unworthiness when you're around these major celebrities. Um, It, it's this, uh, I think codependency is the word there's like an actual sim- There's an actual, um, condition called codependency where they go through the 12 step system. Yeah. I think Whitney Cummings talked about this in Tim Ferriss's podcast, where so she has this, where it's this idea where you feel such discomfort when other people are going through their own discomfort. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're constantly trying to please other people. But the defect of that is you're never taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you can go through maybe a month, maybe three months for like a, for Savage. It could be multiple years, right. but in the end, this is going to lead to uh, a very negative feedback loop. This is similar to what you went through, of course. Because I know how hands-on you are with with the clients that you have.
0: Yep, you know, 100. I I know. Um, I was in Clearwater Beach uh, the past two days. I was trying to see Hulk. He just had back surgery, but wasn't up for it. And we had a I had a big corporate dinner last night. So my girl and I. Um, fled out at the pool yesterday at the resort, took a day off the day before at the beach and, uh, my morning yesterday, there's a serenity club on 631 Turner Street in Clearwater Beach and 10 AM. That's where I needed to be around my mm-hmm. spiritual brothers and sisters that are trying to live this amazing spiritual life one day at a time, staying sober. And, uh, I had a ton of business going on yesterday. But I know that as long as I put that first, that my day is going to fall into place the way it's meant to fall into place in Clearwater Beach, Florida. I mean, I've gone to meetings in Sydney, Monaco, Anguilla, Paris, uh, Magic, and Cookie at their 60th birthday celebration in San Tropez uh, over Labor Day weekend. I found a meeting in Monaco. I found a meeting um, in Nice. Yeah, And uh, I just feel that I get that spiritual connection to put myself first and to get that energy mm. that I need. Once it gets depleted. So yeah. I could be the best Darren Prince that I can be. And Steinman as much as an agent. The agent, like I said, is just the second part of it to me. You know, the fellowship that I'm a part of, man, is an ego-crushing fellowship. And um I remember being on Dave Meltzer's podcast and the way he came out, we, we cried happy tears. And I just said the, the Magic Johnson's, the Muhammad Ali's, the smoking Joe Frazier's, the Hulk Hogan's, the Dennis Rahman. I go, that's bullshit. Like, that's what I do. Mm. Who I am is a degenerate, freaking drug addict one day at a time that's living the sober life in the present, trying to give this spiritual gift away to people. Yes. You know? And if I remember that, phew, life is as easy as can be. Right.
1: Mm. Right. Yeah, because for you, just having all the success, being an agent is, is the easy part. You know what you're doing. You know yeah. what it takes. You have the mental fortitude, yeah. but to be able to relate to some of these icons and to to really be them, be there for them at a human level, while also being able to take care of yourself—that's that's the challenge that we all go through exactly. on a daily basis. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, the question that I did have for you is kind of related to this idea of codependency. How do you allocate your time to make sure that each of the clients that you have feel as as special as as the other person? Because you've got now a roster of of dozens of these amazing clients and you wanna make sure that they're taken care of as best as possible, but how do you as, as that one person allocate your time and energy to make sure that they all feel special? This is something I'm really curious yeah, about.
0: No, they all feel the love. It's a great question. You know, I, I, I always do it. I always find a way to make sure I'm around every single one of them. And Carmen Electra, I love her to dash. She'll text me once in a while. Hey, babe, I know you're busy with other people more she important than hate- me. And I'm like, <laughs> I, like I hate it. She even says that. Nobody's more important than anybody. Like, yeah, there's some that make more money or keep us busier, but they're all human beings. And um the great, beautiful people or and professional people, otherwise, who wouldn't have the passion to work so hard for them. But yeah. like Chevy's in the middle of this tour, and he's got these enormous, every date sold out with Mills Entertainment, where they do a Christmas vacation screening. And depending on the time of the year, one of his hit movies is playing and calls me a week ago and said, hey, man, am I going to see you in Dallas this week? And I said, no, nope, because how about Syracuse? I said, no, nope. because Ohio. I said, no, nope. I go, Chev, my boyfriend is going to be with you, who he loves for the next three dates, but I'll see you on the 27th of December in Milwaukee. He goes, okay, great, great. I'm glad you're going to be there. So mm. I always just make sure. Um, Magic had a keynote on Sunday, so I flew out with him on his plane, and then uh, me and my girl flew on a on a red-eye to Tampa, and he knows I I, I got to be there with them. You know, Dennis and I are going to a laker game on sunday um charlie i was at his house uh, two weeks ago i had to go by and go over some business with him and i went by myself we sat there we shot the shit for two hours just yeah. laughed our ass off about life went over some business stuff rick flair and i speak every you know couple weeks and uh same thing with hulk i just found like i said i find a balance and a way to do it with each and every one of them where i'm always just on top of it And i think intuitively i know if a few days or a week or something's gone by where I haven't checked in with somebody Yeah, and I'll just, I'll shoot a text or something. That's all it takes.
1: And have you always had that? Because I, as I mentioned, going back to full circle, I do think that's one of your true skill sets that, uh, is, is part of the reason why I guess you're here is that you're a major super connector and you have this ability to connect with people and stay in connect, stay connected to people <laughs> and add value instead of, instead of asking, um, I'm, I want to know a little bit about the process. So when you were starting Prince Marketing Group, I know you had some initial connections, but mm-hmm. let's say you have an eye on a, on a client. And for mm-hmm. people that are listening, this could be a business client. This could be a girl or guy that you want to start dating. Uh, what's kind of the process that you go through to, to have a goal, to have a person that you want to land as a client and uh, to go through that process from beginning to the end? I'll, I'll put aside my experience because
0: mine is highly unusual and yes. most people can never even understand or fathom this, that Magic Johnson became my first client who I met through the memorabilia business and told me where forward if I don't use him to knock down every door to bring in all the celebrities I can, he was going to fire me. Because oh. it's not how successful he becomes. It's how successful he makes me and everyone else around me because that's what defines success in life. It's a domino effect. Yes. And I couldn't believe he was actually telling me at 26 years old he's given me the rights to exploit him so I can hire more celebrities as clients. Wow. And um, so, again, that's a beyond ridiculous circumstance how do you even for most build people? that kind of
1: relationship um, with him to for him to be able to break down all these doors for you i mean that's i'm sure a lot of But we, we already that. had it for
0: three years yes but, but, but what i realized during that process was if you want to generalize and it's not even the world of celebrities it's building a merchandise business it's building up your own database with some software technology t-shirt company what i learned a lot is came from my dad you have to know so much about the corporate client you have to know you know what they like, what they don't like, when their birthday is, find out some information about their family, find out what their, you know, hobbies are. You know, if they like sports, talk to them about that. if There's a certain team that they like. If there's, you know, some musical actor, Broadway show, you know, make little notes of all these little details because that's what separates you from the rest of the competitors who are out there trying to get their yes. business, but not just get it, but keep it yes. and retain it because anybody can get the account one time, it's what you do to keep it and what you you do to retain it. Mm. Um, Because there's always somebody around the corner that's going to come around to be better, smarter, wiser, quicker, um, more successful. And if you don't stay out on things like that, I mean, forget it. I I have so many updates that come in on my clients, whether it's birthdays, if they're married anniversaries, historic moments in their career. Um, That stuff is just so important. And yeah, you don't have historic moments in, in a corporate business partner, but there's things that you can listen to when you take that time to have breakfast with them or go for an espresso or a coffee or have a 15-minute phone call once in a while. Yeah. You can make that mental note or put a note, you know, whatever, on your computer where you're notified of something, and that's what makes you different. So when yes, you're reaching it's out, with a birthday for your son or their yeah. daughter, or you know they mentioned they're going away on their an- for their anniversary with their wife, and you just shoot a random text three weeks later after you spoke to them because you know they're leaving the next day that's it man that's it that that's what makes the difference to me it is you know it's just staying on top of those little personal things and if you're in town and you're from california and the clients in new york just like i did i made five rounds of business meetings each one were 20 minutes in and out when i was in new york in the freezing cold a month ago i went to give a keynote speech in white plains new york to a high school and i just made sure i told everybody look i got 20 minutes um that's all it takes.
1: You just got to put that effort in. Yeah, and it's, it's the small extra little effort to personalize that experience for, for the connection, that relationship that you have. And I just got an email because I know a lot of people are doing this now, which is you get an email and there's like ways to personalize by saying like, hey, first name, comma, and then you write the message exactly. and it looks like it's personal. One guy did it. He doesn't even put my name. So it says, hey, bracket, First name, bracket. Come on, I'm like, come oh, come on, on. man. Yeah. Come that on. That doesn't work. I mean...
0: That doesn't work. How many of those did he send out, you know?
1: Oh, probably a thousand, a
0: thousand. I get, I still get emails where my first name, it says, Dear Darren, and then you start reading through it, and it's got a different person's name. So again, John, let me know until uh, so you're like, you know there's an assistant or somebody that's trying to change it up and customize it for each. And they, Oh, my God. Yep. You know, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I love what Gary Vee always talks about with his social. I mean, those little things when he replies to so many different random people, man. That's why he's a machine right now, taking over the world. Those little things mean everything. Everything.
1: Yes. One thing I do in Christmas is instead of sending Christmas cards, I would send, I would actually record a video to a mentor or a friend. Mm And I would send them like a personalized message so that it's – I mean, I think a card is also great because it's handwritten. But funny
0: you said that. Let me see if I can
1: pull up mine because we deal with a company called Send Out
0: Cards. Okay. And Send Out Cards are your old school holiday cards and uh, physical cards. Mm. Probably cost me a couple thousand dollars every year. I still do it. They just went out, uh, literally.
1: And if you're using it, I definitely wanted to write that.
0: So they literally just went out yesterday, because we want to make sure people get it around the holidays.
1: Send out cards?
0: It's called send out cards. Yeah, let okay. me pull this up, because I can show this to you. you will get a kick out of this. We had Chevy Chase at a Comic-Con for the first time ever a few month, uh, a couple months ago, and it was the first time ever there was a vacation reunion. From the classic movie. So there's me with Beverly Andrew, Chevy, the daughter Audrey, and the kid who played Rusty. So that's our holiday card this year, where it says, Happy Holidays from the Griswolds and Prince Marketing Group. Uh, And um, people look forward to it every year. It goes to all my celebrities. It goes to all our corporate clients. Um, They want to know what the theme is each year. It gets, like, an exciting, you know, buzz around it. And I think we have about 450 clients on the mailing list that it goes out to. I mean, put yeah. so much effort into it because we know they actually care about that little yes. gesture like what what's the theme going to be this year like right, who right. who uh you know who's gonna be on the corridor because it's always something unique that nobody else has
1: and that's the reputation that you you've built at this point yep. now it's a little like silly freaking holiday right? court
0: and yeah. yeah it becomes something that people can't wait for every year yeah,
1: it goes a long way yeah well Darren I want to end this off because I think one of the, one of the uh, um, experiences that I think a lot of people can learn from a lot of people that are listening, they're, they're go-getters. They're people that are entrepreneurs, uh, highly driven professionals. And it's, I think I love talking about how-to tips around how to get success. But one thing that I know that I think everyone can relate to is the mental health mm-hmm. and ultimately trying to avoid but also dealing with this the idea of burnout, which is so common these days. Yep. So I want to know what's that process that you've learned through the journey that you've been through to to take care of yourself mentally, physically. What are the, some of the things that you do? Because I know you're still just hustling every single day. You're going through you're putting in that extra effort for every single client and you're now you're giving keynote speaks. So how do you how do you how do you really take care of yourself?
0: I'm still in the gym 6 days a week. I work out 30 40 minutes a day. I diet, you know, pretty uh discipline wise, I um I got the proper rest. I say no a lot. A lot of people no invite me lot. to a That's lot a of cheap. different events. You know, some of the great events or dinners and I don't care. You no, know, been there, done that. Um, you know, I still have my crew of friends that like to go out and party and even though they didn't realize how dark and deep my problem was, you know, because I, I like to consider myself highly functioning, I don't deserve being out after ten o'clock at night at a function. Nothing good happens after ten o'clock at night. <laughs> yes. In my opinion. Yes. Nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, so if I go to an event, if I go to dinner, I'm back at my, my place by 9 o'clock. I, I just learn to stay disciplined with that. Yeah, occasionally I have to do a business event, red carpet, whatever it might be, or a launch or an activation. I go, and Darren Prince isn't that important. Then if I leave def- after an hour, that I'm going to be that missed. You know, I see everybody I need to see, and I get out of there. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it, like I said, is, is saying no, taking care of my physical um, health, my mental health, is my 12-step meetings, it's meditation. It's getting this message out there as much as possible speaking as many like I said high schools colleges galas companies um, that just keeps me like on the right side because I get so much more back when somebody's lives or several people's lives are changed and saved in that room at the moment it just yeah it just gives me this like spiritual intake that's just unexplainable
1: It's one of the core messages of, of the 12-step program right which is instead of focusing on yourself give to give and help people primary
0: purpose is to help another sick and suffering
1: and that person. fuels your energy that yep. keeps you going and, and, and
0: that's it and then you know as far as business you know mentors 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 that's what I tell people I've been blessed to have some of the best and if you're the smartest person in any room that you're in find another room because you're in the wrong room and uh, you know mentors can save you years and years of heartache financial hardship uh, you know you learn from their losses and you can gravitate towards their success yes and um you know, some could be a mentor during that time in your life. You could always find new ones as you evolve into whatever trade or profession or field that you're in. And, uh, like I said, I've been blessed. I mean, how many people can say they had, you know, Magic Johnson as one of them for right? yeah. you know, as long as he's, he's been there for me. And, um, you know, some other, you know, hugely prominent people as well. I think that's, uh, just, just so key because uh, you don't want to waste 5, 10, 15 years of your life and lose a ton of money. Just surround yourself with people a lot smarter than you, and you'll get there a lot quicker. Beautiful.
1: Well, I want to end this off, Darren. First of all, I really appreciate you for coming on, more importantly, for writing this book and having this new focus in your life, which is giving your message to millions of people around the world. Uh, We generally leave the interview by giving someone an actionable takeaway, Mm -hmm. actionable It could be something around the business. It could be something around uh, an addiction if someone has any addictions or something that they're going through to help them get from zero to one. Is there any actionable takeaways that someone can do right after listening to? I'm going to tell you the five A's that changed
0: my life were attitude adjustment, action, acceptance, and accountability so if ten. somebody can remember those five and you're struggling with anything in your life it could be business it could be a personal struggle with uh you know food drugs alcohol whatever it might be if you put those five together it's kind of like what Tony Robbins says and you each day work on that mm-hmm. every single day a little bit at a time those changes will eventually happen in your life and you'll become the person you're meant to be
1: Beautiful takeaway. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check out Darren's book, Aiming High, Amazon bestseller. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you. All right. How long did we go there? How long did we go there? But no, oh, it was perfect. an hour. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. I guess you guys have really good voices. Mixes well. <laughs> <Yeah>, it is good. <laughs> yeah, Darren's got that deep voice, the, yeah. the keynote speaking voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today, and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.